Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Welcome to TC. As I said a few minutes ago, my name is Justin. I serve here as one of our pastors and I want to welcome you today. Pastor Brad, our lead pastor, want to give a little bit of honor. He is on a well-deserved vacation with uh, some family, so we're letting him take a few few days off and they're at a lake somewhere uh, doing better than we are at this point. So uh, I'm just glad he's having fun and uh, one day maybe the rest of us will get to have cool stuff like that. So uh, anyway, so I want to welcome you. If you're, if you're new with us today, a couple things. Number one, welcome. We're really glad that you're here. We believe at TC that our church is better because you're here in it, right? So we're glad you're here. Uh, second thing is come back again. Don't make your judgment on this church by me today. You would be doing yourself a disservice. <laughs> come back again when the real preacher is here. I'm just kind of a, a stand-in. Uh, I'm eye candy for, you know, for lack of a better word. So <laughs> Uh, so this is, this is what you get. So um, we're, we're glad you're here. Now, at TC, we're having a lot of fun. God's really doing some, some amazing things in our church right now. Uh, you know, one, what we believe at TC is we believe that God wants to take us all on a journey, right? That, that lost people would be saved, saved people would be pastored, pastored people would be equipped, and equipped people would be mobilized. That's what it's about. We say it like this, that everyone would know God, know who he is, that they would find freedom from your yesterday, your past, your things, that you would discover the purpose of why God put you on this planet, and then you'd use that purpose to make a difference in the lives of others. That's it. That's the formula, to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. So we're glad that you're here, and uh, we hope that today, if anything, that you learn that we are, if, if, if nothing, we're just Jesus people. We, we really dig Jesus. We love him a lot, actually, and, uh, because we believe that he's actually real, and he walked this earth, and he actually is God. Uh, we believe a couple things, that he wants to do something in you, but more than importantly, does God want to do something in you? We believe he wants to do something through you, and, and that's what we're, we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, do you have your Bibles with you? It'll be on the screen, but listen, let's bring Bibles to church. I know you got it on your phones and iPads, and we always put it on the screen uh, for those that don't see good, and you know you don't have the you don't want to bring the big Bible with the big words in it, so we put it on the screen. But uh, we're going to be um, read a scripture real fast, Book of Romans, uh, chapter fifteen, verses one through seven. I'm going to read it. It'll be on the screen behind me. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. As it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures that the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Amen. How many of you like this uh, series we've been in, Unsung Heroes? I really like this, this series a lot. I like the different angles that everybody who's uh, preached up to this point has come with. And uh, I, I was thinking, as I was preparing for, for this today, I was kind of thinking uh, about heroes, like the, the concept of a hero. And what it is about the idea of a hero that draws mankind to these type of stories, right? So we, we've had these for, for centuries, 
there's been the idea of the heroes. We love it. I mean, even the Greeks had their gods, right? Hercules, Achilles, right? There was this idea of a hero. Even today in our modern society, we love the idea of a, a, a hero. We even see it today where we honor all the time, like first responders and uh, law enforcement and our military, right? Or even in movies, like the guy that always gets the girl and the job works out and they kind of prance off into the, the distance happily ever after, right? We love the idea of a story. The last decade, Marvel, DC, superheroes. How many people are into the superhero universes and all that? Yeah, really? I know there's more than that. Y'all didn't want to look like nerds, so you didn't say amen to that. It's okay. But we're drawn to the idea of heroes. Why? I think it's because at some point, regardless of your religious affiliation and what you believe about God, at some point, everyone can resonate or realize that sometimes just bad things happen, right? And not only do bad things happen, bad things happen to good people. And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us in the room would classify ourselves as the good people, would we not? We're the good people. And sometimes, bad, I heard the pipeline students, uh, <laughs> We would consider ourselves the good people, but regardless of your religious affiliation, we know that there are forces that exist in the universe beyond our control, and at some point, somebody, each of us, we're going to need to be rescued. Rescued from something. Is it, is it sickness? Is it maybe like a criminal? Maybe it's death? We know at some point we need to be rescued from something. Everyone can resonate with the idea that there are forces that exist that we can't control. And we turn to these hero stories. I put this in your notes. At some point, we all need a hero, right? At some point, we all need a hero. We also want to be the hero. Let's talk for a second now. We also want to be the hero. And I'm going to do this really fast because I'm going to steal this from my buddy Matt Chandler. The pipeline students know where this is going. Here's the problem with heroes in American culture as Christians. When, when we watch the movies or read the comic books or whatever, we tend to infuse ourselves into that story like we're the hero. The problem is when you pick this up and read it, if you do the same thing to the scriptures, you're reading the Bible wrong. You're reading it wrong, and that's a problem. If you read these stories and every time you turn around, you're infusing yourself into the story as the hero, you're reading the scripture wrong. Because listen, the Bible's not about you, as Matt Chandler said. The Bible's about Jesus, right? As Matt Chandler said, you're not David. You're not David. And we've all been in a church service, especially if you've been in a youth group, because I think everybody who's preached to a youth group has used a story like David and Goliath, where at the end of the day, like, your problem in life is Goliath. And you're David, and you come in and solve the problem, and you go on your way. Listen, you're not David. Your debt problem, your addiction, your struggle is not Goliath. In that story, Jesus is David. If anything, we're the Israelites, scared. That's important to know. But we do want to be the hero. Even me, I'm guilty. Check this picture out. They got a picture. <sighs> I'm Batman. So uh, nothing like some poor mom ingenuity at uh, Halloween time. Listen, 
those blue things I'm wearing, those are real underwear. My mom ran out at that point, and she remembered I had blue, like, whitey tidy underwear in the drawer that I had to go get. That's a true story. The only part of that costume we bought is the top with the cape and the mask. I was blessed to just get, to get the cape. I thought the only thing mom was going to buy was the mask, and my cape was going to be the beach towel and the, you know, the, the clothesline thingy, the clip. How am I going to fly around with a heavy beach towel? But we all want to be the hero. Here's what's interesting about superheroes. Y'all are aware we live in a post-Christian society, right? We quickly have entered into post-Christian society especially in the millennial generation and even younger with Gen Z, the idea of people associating with religion at all, not just Christianity, is going away. Yet, at the same time, we've seen an explosion in ideas like DC and Marvel in this idea of superhero at the same time. There is a dichotomy that exists of people not associating with religion Yet at the same time, the admiration, or dare I say, worship of superheroes is growing. The people who won't acknowledge the very possibility of a true living God or that he even exists are the same people who relish in the fantasies of a savior with otherworldly capabilities. Like Superman. Uh, Otherworldly capabilities, and they'll relish in that, but don't want to talk about the even possible uh, existence of a true living God. I find that interesting. They know that they need to be saved from something, yet won't actually acknowledge the true God that can actually save them. I find that interesting. We all need a hero at some point. And at the end of the day, obviously it's not like a secret with this uh, series, who the hero in our life should be. In the Bible, 750 years before Jesus would come to the planet and and solve the sin problem that we all deal with, God's ridiculous, illogical, extraordinary, unconditional love shows up on full display through the young man by the name of Hosea. He was a prophet. Hosea lived 750 years before Jesus would come, and he was a prophet and lived in the northern territory of Israel. And all the the prophets in in the Bible, they all had some kind of peculiar assignment, but I would argue that Hosea's assignment is very strange. And a lot of times, even with the prophets, not only did they have to speak their prophecies, but they also had to just live them out. So, So Hosea is there, and God says, Hosea, this is your... This is your assignment. He says, I want you to marry a prostitute. Now, if Hosea was anything like me, I'd have been like, come again, God? Marry a what? A what? And God says, marry a prostitute. And if you read the scripture in Hosea, um, it, it, the story's in chapter 1 and 3, is there's not a whole lot of explanation. God just says, do it. So Hosea Meets a prostitute and, and, and marries her. What's her name? Her name was Gomer. Bummer of a name. <laughs> and Gomer and Hosea, they have, a, they have a baby boy. And a little while later, they have a baby girl. 
Then they have another baby boy, and things seem to be going well for a few years, two or three years. On the surface, things seem to be going pretty good. And then one day, Hosea wakes up, and Gomer's not in bed. And he gets up, and he looks around, goes out to the living room, the kitchen, looks around. She's not there. Looks outside. Maybe she's in the yard. She's not there. Checks the kids' rooms, the bathroom. She's, she's nowhere to be found. She's gone. Hosea's there. Single dad, three kids. Surely Hosea had some, some dark nights and had to think to himself, here I am. He's a famous figure in Israel, and he had to think, I'm supposed to be a, a, a seer. I'm supposed to communicate for God, and I can't even keep my wife at home. So what was that like? She's gone. And we don't know how long he's in this, this period, and then one day God finally comes, and he tells Hosea, this is what we're going to do. He comes, and... He says, this is the plan, Hosea. Go find her. And marry her again. Again? Yeah. Marry her again. This is where we pick the story up. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. It says, then the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by a lover and is right now committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. In other words, they are enamored by things of this world. Hosea is in a culture in Israel where things are going well. They're experiencing prosperity and all these things. And right now the Israelites have three different positions, three philosophies on how they view love. It's in your notes. One, they believe that love uh, can be purchased. They have this view that love can be purchased. Number two, Israel believes that love can be found in the pursuit of self-gratification. And third, they believe love can be found in inanimate objects, things. And as I was reading this about the time in Israel, I thought this sounds eerily similar to the culture that we live in today. Where the, the concept of love has become so convoluted. Love ya. I love ya. Had tacos yesterday, love them. Roll Tide, love them. You shouldn't, but. <laughs> but God's love seems to pierce through the convoluted concepts of love of today's modern society where the philosophies proliferate throughout the continents of our great globe where people believe that love can be purchased, that love is about self and love is about things. This is not love, so God says, I will demonstrate to my people what love really is. One scholar wrote, other than the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the story of Hosea and Gomer is the, is the best expression and demonstration of God's love in all of Scripture. So Hosea gets the assignment, go look for your wife. What was that like? That must have been a heart-wrenching process as you go looking for your wife that was a former prostitute who's now back into prostitution. Where do you go looking for her, friends? 
How painful was that pursuit? How messy is that search? He's got to go looking for his wife where men of God should not be. So he's got to go to that part of town, if you know what I mean. You, you got to understand in this story that Hosea is a famous figure at this time in Israel. He is a holy man. He is a seer. He is a prophet. And God says, go down to the red light district, go down to the brothels, and find your wife. So, no doubt he had to approach people. Think through the story. He had to approach people, hey, you seen my wife lately? Your girl Gomer? Have you seen her? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for her. Have you seen her? Nah. <laughs> did, did he have to ask other guys? You see my wife lately? Hey, man, sorry. I didn't know y'all were still together. It's my bad. I saw her a few days ago, a couple streets down. Yeah, it's cool. I'm just I'm looking for her. Have you seen her? Hey, good luck with the Yeah, thanks. Until he finally walks up, and where does he see Gomer? She's on the selling block. She's in the sex slave industry, and she's being sold. What many scholars believe is Hosea walks up on an auction. He's walking up on an auction, and that's his wife. Surely he says, excuse me, sir, that, that's my wife. And the guy says, I don't care who you say she is, she's mine. She's for sale. Hosea says, what's the price? What was that like for Gomer? She probably can't even look at Hosea. She never fathomed he would come looking for her and that he would pay the price of the auction. Does he have to outbid other bidders? He's at an auction, and that's his wife. Hosea chapter 3, verse 2, So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. So Hosea's there, and he says, I'll, I'll pay whatever the price, I'll pay it. Wait a second, Hosea. She's already yours. He says, I know, but I'll still pay the price. Uh, the book of Psalms Chapter 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yet God sent his son to spill his sacred blood on a torture tool to purchase back what in fact was already his. Humanity is the unique possession of its creator and yet he paid a price. We're already his, friends. You're already his. It's in case you didn't know. So Hosea, he, he gets the money and he pays. What was that exchange like? As Hosea looks in the eyes of his wife, no doubt she hung her head in embarrassment. He's found me. I've abandoned him. I've abandoned our three kids. And yet he insists on buying me, on buying me. All those other men they wanted to buy her to use her. Hosea sought to buy her, buy her to heal her. 
Then Hosea begins to renew his vows. That's what he's doing. Look in verse 3. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. And I will do the same for you. That's not what I would have said. (laughs) That ain't what I would have said. Then in the next verse, the Spirit of God comes on Hosea, and right there, after he just purchased back his wife, he starts to prophesy about Israel, and he starts to prophesy about days that will come. Verse 4, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, he does not mean David. He's only using the word David because he's yet to learn the name Jesus. David is a, is a, is a messianic stand-in. That's it. For Jesus will be called the son of David. He's just doing the best he can with the knowledge that he has. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And then they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in those days. These were not the days that Hosea was in. For you'll notice throughout the Old Testament, you will notice a reoccurring theme. The people lived in terror, in fear of God's wrath and his judgment. But Hosea stands, having just purchased his harlot wife back, and he prophesies about a new world order and a new era and a new day and a new covenant. And he says, there will come a day where we have a messianic king, and in those days we will be in awe of his goodness. We'll be in awe of his goodness. These are the days we live in, in case you didn't know. These are the days we're in. Our Hosea has come. Salvation has come, and he found you, and he found me, and he had to walk through the most despicable, horrible, nasty places to find us, and he had to communicate with with sinful, broken humanity. Don't you see that as Hosea searched for his wife, so too did Jesus come searching for the salvation of humanity. And by the way, when God found you, You weren't put together. You were in chains and you were naked and you were shackled and you were sinful and so was I. Our gracious God said, how much? How much? The blood of your son. For then and only then can we advert the wrath and and judgment that is rightfully on our heads. God says, very well, I give you my son. Who's who's Hosea? God. Hosea means salvation. Gomer means completion. This is a picture of the gospel. Salvation completes the work in spite of her sins, in spite of her doings, in spite of running away. Who's Hosea? That's our God. Who's Gomer? Me, you. Jesus is my Hosea. He completes me. 
nothing has to be added. Nothing can be added when you find your Hosea. I am complete because he paid a price. This isn't in your notes, but I just just thought of this. The book of Hosea is not the most encouraging, uplifting book. It's about God's wrath and his judgment, his wrath and his judgment towards his wayward people. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Yet in the in chapter 11, he's telling them, he's telling them what they deserve, what's coming. You're going to get judgment and wrath, judgment and wrath. Then in uh, verse 8, he changes mid-sentence. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I make you like Adma and Zeboam? And this is what God says. My heart churns within me. My compassion is aroused. It's, it's beautiful. As he's mad and telling his people what they deserve, in an instant, he changes his whole thought process. He says, how can I give you up? How can I do that to you? My heart churns within me. This is our God. And I hold today through this simple story that those of us in the room that maybe have our eternity placed in Jesus, that we would understand when we get complacent that God came searching for us. You didn't find God. You didn't find God. God found you. Not only did he find you, he came searching for you in the most despicable of places we find ourselves. At your worst, he found you. Pray with me. Jesus, as we stand here in this moment, in all of your goodness, as your scripture said in Hosea, that we we live in a, in a time that you prophesied about, that we would live in a day where your people would be in awe of your goodness. God, we stand here in this moment not deserving, yet humbled, that while we were still sinners, that Christ Jesus came and died for the ungodly. Lord, we stand just in this moment with our focus on you, understanding that you're our ultimate hero. When I didn't know I needed you, you were in the process of searching for me. you're in the room today and with eyes closed and heads bowed, if you're here in the room today and through this simple story of Hosea and Gomer, you realize that I am Gomer. I didn't know I needed a savior. I didn't know I needed a, 
a Savior. If you're here today knowing that you're not complete, but something's drawing you that you could be. We believe that drawing is the Holy Spirit. and We believe in this moment that God wants to change your, your eternity. For those of us in the room that are Christians, we, our salvation is secure, our eternity is secure in heaven with Jesus. And we would like to use this opportunity to invite you. And if you're sitting in this place incomplete and you feel God calling you, that he has rescued you, that he has found you, in this moment, if that's you that says, I need my Hosea, I need my salvation, just slip a hand up right where you're at. No one's looking around. Amen. What we're going to do is we're going to pray as a group together. And this prayer does not save you. What this prayer does is it puts words to what God's doing on the inside of you. So if you raise your hand or even if you didn't and you feel like this is your moment, pray this with us. The whole church is going to pray together so you're not by yourself. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you today. I thank you that in my sin, you still found me. Lord, I, I ask that you would save me. I believe that you were born of a virgin. I believe you walked this earth as a man. I believe you were crucified, you were dead, and you were buried. And I believe three days later, you arose. I believe that if I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that I am saved. So Jesus, I, I give you my life. I give you my whole heart. I put my attention on you. Save me. Use me. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. TC, come on, let's put our hands together for those that prayed that prayer for the first time. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. Mytc.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.